Is the law of Moses really from Moses, or was it written down by the Israelites hundreds of years later as a copied-down religious tradition? Hey, I'm William Dyer. This is Dyer Conversations. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. Just so you know, this episode is going to be part of a playlist that I'm doing called The Reliability of the Old Testament. So if you've missed the earlier episodes, I'm going to put a link to them in the description below, or you can click the link that's popping up on your screen right now. But let's go ahead and get into today's episode. Okay, so what I've been trying to do in this series is take a look at the two different methods by which Bible scholars will approach the Pentateuch. Now, the Pentateuch is simply a word that refers to the first five books of the Old Testament. That would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the two different methods are going to be called the traditional view, which is the view that really accepts the reliability of the Pentateuch, and the historical critical method. Now, in the earlier episodes that I've done in this playlist, we've examined some aspects to the historical critical method. In today's episode, I want to look at one of the offshoots of this method. And what do I mean by offshoot? Well, we've already kind of actually looked at a few of these. So let me give you some examples uh, to refer back to the previous episodes. The first example would be called the source critical method. And in the source critical method, we talked about how the Bible scholars will try to find sources that are behind the Pentateuch. So they don't believe Moses wrote those books as is attested in the actual letters of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They think that there's sources behind those texts, so they try to find them. Now, another method here, another offshoot of the historical critical method would be called the redaction critical method. The redaction critical method is the method that tries to examine the way editors came along to the documents that actually uh, formed into what we would call the Pentateuch. So they say, okay, how do these editors come along and change the text down through the ages to give it to what we actually have today? But in today's episode, we're going to look at actually another offshoot, and that other offshoot is called the form-critical method. Now, the form-critical method It's not looking at the sources behind the text. It's not looking at the editors that came along afterwards. The form critical method is actually looking at the supposed oral traditions that Bible scholars believe are the foundation of the Pentateuch. Now, in the form critical method, there's a couple uh, well-known names. If you've never really been involved in this, then you can look these names up later, so you could do your own research on it. And these names are, number one, Herman Gunkel. He's kind of like the godfather of this view. He's the one that really kind of got it kick-started. Another name would be Albrecht Alt, Martin Noth, and Gerdhan von Rad. Now, as I stated before, the form-critical method is focused on the oral traditions. Now, what they don't accept, though is that these traditions are reliable. So they don't believe that as the Israelites were you know, going through their history and they were passing down their religious traditions orally, they would think, well, these oral traditions probably got changed over time, might have got corrupted, maybe a little bit of embellishment were added to it, and then 
after so much, you know, time had passed, then that oral tradition got written down into actual documents, and then those documents were used to form what we call the Pentateuch. So you can kind of see what they're doing here. What they're doing is going, hey, look, when you read the first five books of the Old Testament, you have to understand that there's actually documents that are behind those. These aren't the original eyewitness testimony to the events. And if you go back to those documents, you have to understand that those documents came from oral traditions. But now if you go back to the oral traditions, you have to understand that those oral traditions were passed down over hundreds and hundreds of years. And as they were passed down, they were changed, they were embellished, there were things added to it, legend and myth got mixed in. So what does that leave us with? That leaves us with the concept that then the Pentateuch that we have it today is not actually real history. It is not reliable testimony to tell us what actually happened. Now, the last name that I gave you, the Von Rad subject, what he did was he took this method, the form critical method that's focused on oral traditions. He also took the redaction method, which is the one that said editors came in later and changed the text, and he kind of married those two methods together. And from that, he set forth a theory that the Israelites basically preserve their religious tradition through short creeds. And if you go through the Pentateuch, you can actually find these creeds that underline the text. So I want to give you a quote now by a Bible scholar um, named Ernest Nicholson in his book, The Pentateuch in the 20th Century. He writes this, talking about this method, their deployment and refinement of form-critical and traditio-historical research. Now, again, we're not going to get, you know, like lost in the weeds of these words. Just understand, he's saying, look, from the deployment and refinement of bringing these methods together, that's all he's saying thus far, continuing on the quote, it carried further the labors of earlier scholars such as Gunkel and Alt, and we mentioned those names earlier, continuing on the quote, to such an extent as to transform our understanding of the origin and growth of the Pentateuch and of the transmission and development of the distinctive religious and theological traditions that give rise to it and which it reflects. Now, what is Nicholson saying here? He's saying this, look, so after Gunkel and after Alt came these other scholars that started to kind of marry some of these um, different methods together. And from that, here's what happens. He says, it transforms our understanding of the origin and growth of the Pentateuch. Notice the words there, right? The actual origin and the growth of the Pentateuch. Now, the traditional view would not say that the Pentateuch had any sort of growth to it or evolution to it. They would say, Look, it was written down by Moses, and it was preserved from, you know, by the Israelites down through the ages. However, the historical critical method is going to say that the Pentateuch has developed over time and changed over time. And then he goes on to say that it helps, it, it transforms our understanding of the transmission, which is simply the writing down of and the copying of, and the development, notice that word again, development, how the Pentateuch is going to evolve, of the distinctive religious and theological traditions that give rise to it and which it reflects. So again, we see here uh, that what they want us to believe 
is that there are these traditions that are actually the source of the Pentateuch and not Moses himself. Now remember, these names that I'm giving you, uh, these guys who formed this theory and developed this theory, are going to be writing, you know, 100-some years ago, 150-some-odd years ago. So this is going to be important as I give you the next quote by Professor of Old Testament Studies at Wycliffe College in Toronto, R.K. Harrison. And he says this. He says, The contemporaneous nature of much Near Eastern historiography. Now, historiography simply means the way the ancient people wrote history. All right? So he says, The contemporaneous nature of much Near Eastern historiography has now become apparent. Notice he says, has now become apparent, because R.K. Harrison is, you know, kind of like writing in our time. These other guys who are basing their views on the fact that the text has oral traditions behind it were writing 150 years ago. He said, it has now become apparent to modern scholars with the discovery that in antiquity, events were written down at the time when they occurred or shortly there after. So if you viewed the previous episodes in this playlist, you will notice that in the last episode, I talked about how archaeology really helps us to understand a lot of things about ancient civilization that we didn't know when the historical critical method was actually getting kickstarted, forming, and beginning its own development. So here's what's so important about this quote that R.K. Harrison gives us. Guys who are writing before we actually knew a lot about the ancient civilizations that were contemporary with Israel, were coming up with all these theories, okay? You can't really blame them. They were trying to figure things out. But from their time to our time, what you have in the middle of that is we learned so much about ancient civilizations, how they functioned, what their religions were like, how they... Um, you know, wrote their religious texts down, how they copied things, all these, you know, ideas that we didn't know beforehand. And what R.K. Harrison and many other scholars, I just give him to you as an example, what they tell us is that what we know now is not that these ancient people passed down their traditions orally for hundreds and hundreds of years, and then they were embellished and changed and distorted and then finally written down. No, he says, what we know now They wrote them down. The eyewitnesses wrote down the testimony or shortly thereafter. So there's not this large gap in between the event happening with the eyewitnesses and when it was actually written down. He says instead, they happen very close together, if not simultaneously. So what does that tell us? That tells us that the biblical text is actually reliable because it's eyewitness testimony. An eyewitness testimony is so important because what it does is it rules out the fact that these oral traditions could be changed over time or embellished or distorted. But I'm going to give you another quote that takes this a step further. And this comes from uh, Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke. And he has a doctorate in Greek and New Testament from Dallas Theological Seminary and a doctorate in Ancient Near Eastern Languages and Literature from Harvard. So he's got a pretty good portfolio here. And he says this, in addition, both the Bible itself and the literature of ancient Near East show 
that at the time of its earliest composition, a psychology of canonicity existed. So what does this quote actually tell us? Look, this is what it tells us. It's so important. He says that it's not just the Bible. It's also history that confirms to us that when the biblical authors were writing down these texts, they understood that what they were writing was going to end up being in a canon of Scripture that was considered God's Word. Like when you put in a Facebook update or put a tweet out on Twitter, you're not thinking that people are going to somehow form those together and consider it God's Word. But he says this is what the biblical authors actually understood at the time they were writing the letters. So they took this seriously. I want to give you a couple Bible verses that show you what I mean. Deuteronomy 31, 9 through 11 says this, So Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years. Now, if you know anything about Old Testament history, you'll know that in the law of Moses, they had at the end of every seven years, there was going to be a remission of debts. So this is what he's referring to. There's a certain thing that happens every seven years. He goes, When this happens, I want this also to happen. What is that? He says, verse 11, When all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place which he will choose, you shall read this law in front of all Israel in their hearing. This is how important Moses understood that what he was writing down in these books that we call the Pentateuch, he says it needs to be read every seven years when the Israelites come together. Joshua 24, 25, and 26 says this, chapter 24, verses 25 through 26. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statue and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. So Joshua makes a covenant with these people towards the end of his life, and he writes these words down in the law of God. He understood that what he was doing should be attached to the sacred text of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 25 says, Then Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom and wrote them in the book and placed it before the Lord, and Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his house. So here again, we have a big significant event that's happened in Israel's history, and Samuel writes these words down in the book and placed it before the Lord. See, the Israelites, these authors of the biblical text, understood that what they were writing down should be collected together and preserved as sacred text. Now, one more quote from a guy named William Albright. And again, if you remember from the last episode when we talked about archaeology, this is the guy who really is kind of like the godfather in archaeology, um, you know, dating back uh, about 100 years ago or so. And he says this, The prolonged and intimate study of the many scores of thousands of pertinent documents from ancient Near East proves... You just settle on that word for a second. It proves, that's a strong word, that sacred and profane documents were copied with greater care than is true of scribal copying in Greco-Roman times. Listen, he says, look, from all the stuff that we dig up and we learn about the way the ancient Near Eastern cultures worked, you need to understand this, that when they wrote 
their documents down and they copied their documents. They did it with greater care than the Greco-Roman history does. Now, that's huge if you know anything about Greco-Roman history as well, or just about the way ancients copied, you know, wrote down their text and copied their text. He's saying they did it with precision. They took it to the utmost importance. So what have we learned in today's podcast? Here's what we've learned. The historical critical method came up with a view that said that there was oral traditions that were passed down through hundreds of years that were changed and embellished and distorted. They came into being certain documents, and then those documents were used to form the Pentateuch. But once we learn more about ancient civilizations, we realize that they did not function that way. Instead, they wrote down their history as it happened, and that on top of that, the biblical authors, as they wrote down their history, understood that what they were writing was actually going to be used as sacred literature that should be upheld to the highest important because they understood it was going to be collected together and considered God's word. And then finally, we learned that when they wrote it down and they copied it, according to ancient Near Eastern uh, tradition, the way they did history and the way the biblical authors would have also done history is that they had it with the utmost importance to write it down accurately and copy it accurately. So as we examine the evidence, what can we say about the Old Testament thus far? It is reliable. It is eyewitness testimony. And when it says that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, that we can actually trust it because that's the evidence and how it backs it up. Okay, hey, thanks for joining me in today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel and hit the like button on this video. And until next time, continue to examine the evidence.